A few months ago, I was awakened by an annoying sound, a high-pitched beep. Not wanting to leave the comfort of my bed, I did my best to ignore it. But try as I might, that beeping persisted, and I couldn't fall back asleep. So I climbed out of bed and went off in search of this beeping. A few times I thought I had the alarm pinpointed, only to hear the beep coming from some still unknown place. I went from smoke alarm to smoke alarm, thinking it was a dead battery, but the noise wasn't coming from any smoke alarm. It went off every 30 seconds. As I waited for the alarm to beep, I began to ask myself the deep questions of life. Why do we even have smoke alarms? They always go off in the middle of the night, and it's never smoke. It's always just a dead battery. Why even still have these things? Eventually, I found the culprit. Turns out it wasn't a smoke alarm at all. It was a carbon monoxide alarm. And I changed the batteries, and the alarm continued. I changed the batteries again with batteries from a box, thinking perhaps those other new batteries were dead, or at least dying. And it wasn't until the third time that I changed the batteries that I realized, okay, it's not a battery issue anymore. And the chirping still continued. If it wasn't a battery issue, then it had to be the real thing, right? There's carbon monoxide in our house. And so I started to get a little fearful. But before waking everybody else up in the house, I wanted to double check my logic. So I woke up my wife. And she assured me it was probably still just the alarm, so I did more investigating. I didn't want to get carbon monoxide poisoning, and I didn't want my family to get it either. So I kept at it. And do you know how long 30 minutes or 30 seconds takes when you're trying to figure out a beep? An eternity. But after a while, I found the answer in the fine print on the alarm informing me that this device will beep every 30 seconds when it's seven years old to inform you that it's time to replace it. I never knew alarms had birthdays. But I took the batteries out and went back to bed. So we figure this out later. Eventually, we did replace the little guy, and so far, we've lived happily ever after. But when I first heard that alarm, I knew that it was just a battery issue. It was just dead batteries. After all, it always is, and a simple replacement would do the trick. But when the batteries didn't solve the problem, fear started to creep in. And I started to worry about what I would do if there was a leak somewhere. Where do we go? What would I do? Who do I wake up in the middle of the night? And thankfully, it was just an old alarm and it wasn't anything bigger. Public service announcement for all of you, if you want to avoid this, don't just take your alarms down and take the batteries out, but check them yearly. Replace the batteries and get new ones when you need to get new ones. But our scripture text this morning deals with an alarm of sorts. And Joseph and Herod both are given some troubling news to them. Hear how they deal with it and listen to what's really going on in the background. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2 as I read verses 13 through 18. And again, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word if you're able. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 13 and reading through verse 18. Reading in Jesus' name. Now when they had gone, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And so Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And then when Herod saw, what, saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, 
He became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. And then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here this morning, Lord. Open up our hearts, our minds, and our ears to receive the message that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Joseph has just gone through a bit of a whirlwind. Soon after his fiancée had had a baby, their intimate family moment was interrupted by a bunch of smelly shepherds coming to gaze at this new little baby, the baby that the angel had told them about. Then the shepherds had to go and tell the whole town about it. And when he was just eight days old, he was brought to the temple to be circumcised, and he was given the name Jesus, just like the angel told them to. And a little over a month later, Joseph takes his family back to the temple again, this time to offer two turtle doves or two young pigeons as a sacrifice for the firstborn to fulfill the law that had been given so long ago. And before they could leave the temple, an older gentleman comes and approaches him and and takes the baby out of his hands and begins to praise God. And then a woman, an old lady advanced in years, approached them, and she too began praising God for this child. And some time later, some foreigners came to offer extravagant gifts to his son, gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And to top it all off, then came a homely little drummer boy who wanders in with the snare drum and provides a beautiful drum solo for this king. Okay, that's not scriptural. Just checking to see if you're still following with me. Seems a little chaotic, doesn't it? Can you imagine the whirlwind that Joseph was going through. A newborn baby just trying to get his feet underneath him, trying to get used to what life is like with his fiance and this stepson of his, and trying to figure out how to start being a family. And one thing after another after another continued to interrupt Joseph. And after all the guests file out of his house that evening, Joseph and his family try and attempt to get some much-needed sleep, as anyone with a newborn can understand. And Joseph is awakened by an alarm. Not a carbon monoxide alarm, but an angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him, Get up take, up, take your child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. And before Joseph gets a chance to protest and to just beg the angel for just a few more minutes of sleep, the angel conveys the urgency of this command. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Herod apparently felt threatened enough by this infant that he wanted to destroy him. And Joseph, believing the words of the angel, packed up his family and left for Egypt that night. Jerusalem, where Herod was living and residing, was only five and a half miles away. Herod or his soldiers could show up at any moment. There weren't trains that they could just pick up and hop on to get to Egypt in the morning. No city buses or automobiles to get to Egyptian-controlled territory, or in other words, to get out of Herod's jurisdiction, they needed to travel at least 40 miles. And so 40 miles they traveled, leaving that night, tired and weary with Mary and her baby. 
It was a stressful journey full of unknowns. Where would they live? What would they do? How long would they live in Egypt? And would Herod find them? The only answer they had to cling to was what the angel told Joseph in that dream. Remain there until I tell you. And every day, I imagine, would be a day of hope. Is today the day we can go back home? Today, well, is it safe? When can we go back and be amongst our family members again? When can we just get started with our everyday lives? When will the world return to normal again? And as Joseph held his little boy, he remembered the promise that the angel had spoken. You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph held Emmanuel there in his arms and was reminded, whatever happens, God is here with us. That this light of revelation to the Gentiles, this glory of Israel that Simeon had prophesied, and the redemption of Jerusalem as Anna had mentioned in the temple that day. And this child whom he held would be kept safe. They simply needed to wait for the angel's word. And in the meantime, the Lord would take care of them. The angel's alarming message wasn't an alarm of fear, but an alarm of faith for Joseph. That God would keep them safe. God is keeping them safe. The Lord of lords, the King of kings, a mighty God was there with them, watching over them, keeping his word, and fulfilling his promise to provide a savior. That same message, however, struck fear in the moderately paranoid king of the Jews. Earlier in Matthew chapter 2, when the Magi asked Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Matthew writes and identifies Herod as a king. He says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Herod was the king of the Jews. Who is this new king of the Jews and why hadn't he heard anything about this new king? Herod was always cautious of conspiracy, and he almost needed to be. His caution moved beyond caution and went straight to paranoia, and that led him to execute his brother-in-law and even two of his very own sons. So you can imagine the fear that was struck in Herod when these foreigners, these men from afar, appeared asking him where the king of the Jews is. What did they mean, king of the Jews? They were talking to the king of the Jews. Herod had a plan, though. He cleverly asked the Magi when exactly this king was born and sent them to report back to him so that he also would be able to go and worship this king. But the Magi weren't called wise men for no reason. And having been warned not to go back to Herod, they continued home taking a different route. Verse 16 explains Herod's reaction when he finds out what the Magi had done. He became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. In an act of rage, Herod irrationally orders the murder of all baby boys under two years old. What leads him to do this? was fear. His position was being threatened. His authority was being challenged. His authority had already been challenged. He had his own plans. He had his kingdom. He had his ideas. And no one, not his son or anyone else's son, not even the son of God, is going to get in the way of his plans. He was going to do what he was going to do. And right there in Herod, we have an accurate picture 
of how our depraved, how depraved our own fallen natures are. Do you ever have those desires or you tell yourself, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and there isn't anybody who is going to stop me? I'm going to do what I want to do and even though God's word says differently, so be it. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And we may take the moral high ground and say we would never order the execution of innocent infants. But we're not too different, are we? I heard a statistic I read a statistic the other day that said the number one cause of death in Americans, and I don't know if this was from Roe v. Wade or from in 2019, is abortion. Why are those little infants snuffed out? Because of fear. Because of unknown. We're not too different. The message of a king being born is threatening. And our own sinful nation, natures are always willing, or the extent that our sinful natures are willing to go to, to silence the Savior is astounding. And it terrifies us when we're sober-minded. Because we realize we're not too different. And that same desire to snuff out the Savior, to quiet God's word, exists within our own souls, within our own hearts, when we're faced with temptation. The message of a king being born is threatening to us as well. Because the challenge is your reign. And you may openly confess that Jesus is king, but that means by confession that you are willing to submit to him always. And even when we don't want to. Even when it's inconvenient. Even when it's painful. Even when it challenges our own fear, our own pride, our own identity. Because not submitting to the king is rebellion and punishable by death. The news of a king being born is threatening to our sinful natures. And they bristle up against it. And they refuse to submit. And again, no, it may not be as blunt as Herod slaughtering babies, but it's no less abhorrent in God's sight. When God's word accuses us and points out our sin, our sinful nature says, don't worry about that. It's no big deal. It will always try to defend itself, and it's pretty good at it. And it's even pretty good at mis- or twisting Scripture to comfort you, mistreating Scripture. And it will tell you some sweet-sounding lie telling you, don't worry about it, it's okay, it's no big deal. It will tell you that you don't need a king, that you're fine on your own. And when our sinful natures are exposed for the rebels that they are, they will do whatever they can to overthrow this king, and to maintain the throne of our own lives. There was no one that was going to get in the way of Herod's reign. So he thought. And so he orders the slaughter of these babies. And it happened that God had other plans. The plans of the Father were set in motion long before Herod's reign had began. Plans long before Jesus was even born. Plans that the Lord God would bring to fruition. And there was nothing that anyone could do to stop him. He would bring his plans to fruition. It's interesting here to note that the angel tells Joseph to flee to Egypt. Of all places, to Egypt. So many times in the Old Testament, the Israelites had tried to wander back to Egypt after the Lord had delivered them from Egypt. And God continued to send them prophet after prophet to say, don't go back. It's not safe there. Trust in me. But here... He sends his one and only son into Egypt. Why does he do it? Why does he go back 
to that cursed place? And one of the answers Matthew gives is obviously here to protect the Savior. Herod was on a rampage and wanted Jesus dead. And though Herod wouldn't have been able to kill Jesus, Jesus says, no man is able to take my life, but I will lay it down willingly. God had other plans. There were still things that Jesus needed to do in order to be perfected as the author of salvation. In order to save his people from their sins, it was necessary for Jesus to go to Egypt that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And in doing so, Jesus stood in Israel's place. And in doing so, Jesus stands in Israel's place. In fact, Jesus is the true Israel. He would stand in the place of all the generations that had refused to turn back to the Lord. He would stand in place of all people who refuse to go back to the Lord. And he would be the one to obey God fully. He would be the one who would come out of Egypt and never turn back to it. He would be the one who would serve his father faithfully for you and for me and for all Israel. And while the king was busy shedding innocent blood, trying to snub out the true king of the Jews, he only ended up further identifying that this child is the Messiah. He is bringing to fruition the prophecies of Jeremiah from Jeremiah 31. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Herod's slaughter of the innocents was indeed a time of mourning, and it was a terrible and tragic time. But God had not abandoned them. It was a terrible and tragic time in the time of Jeremiah as well. And the people were mourning, thinking Israel is done for. We are no longer a people. We are no longer a nation. And a few verses after this prophecy, Jeremiah writes these words. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children will return to their own territory. And he goes on to describe the mercy that God desires to have upon his children. That God was accomplishing this comfort even now while his son was in Egypt. Even now as the tears fall from the, from the eyes of these mothers who are bereaved of their beloved children. Jesus wasn't hiding in a cave in Egypt waiting for it to be safe. God was preparing him to be the perfect substitute to atone for the sin of these poor, innocent, and yet still sinful and guilty babies who were slaughtered, to atone for the murderous sin of Herod, but also to atone for the sin of the world, including your own and my own idolatrous sin, for all of the times that myself and you, like Herod, care more about ourselves than anyone else, for all the times that our own pride gets in the way and, and we fear what other people might think of us more so than what God has said. For all the times that we arrogantly try to snuff out Jesus and pretend to be our own saviors and our own kings to call our own shots. God was there in Egypt preparing his son for you. Jesus took the place of Israel and was called out of Egypt to be the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the firstborn who was sent of God, sent to redeem God's people. 
And God's plan from the beginning, from the foundation of the world here, was coming to fruition. And there was no one, not even Herod in all of his evil rage or the gates of hell, who could stop God from fulfilling his plan, no matter how bad the world continued to be. Attempts continue to be made today to try to destroy Jesus, to try to erase what it is that he has accomplished. But history has already been written. And it's been recorded for us in his word. His work is already complete. And he has fulfilled it. He has redeemed his people. And he is in control. So trust in him. And submit your life to the king of kings. And put to death that own sinful nature. That continues to try to rebel against the only true authority that there is. Jesus Christ, the son of God and king of kings. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. We thank you that your word reveals to us our own sinful nature. It reveals to us how bad off we really are. It reveals to us our own rebellion. But thank you also, Lord, that your word reveals to us that all the while you knew how bad we are, that while we were yet sinners, you would still send your son to be crucified, buried, and risen again for us that we might live, that we might be forgiven, that we might have life. We thank you for that truth. Father, we pray that you would help us to bring this message of truth to all of those around us as well, to bring this truth to those who are grieving, that there is life after death through Jesus Christ and through you alone. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.